0: And welcome to everybody and uh, and cheers. Um, so as, as Tom said, we do run these sessions uh, in person now and again, and we also, through the lockdowns, we do quite a few virtual ones in our social distance in, but generally they are recorded. So we're chatting about something. We don't have a agenda or a topic, <clears throat> just talking about something. Uh, okay. and the time it takes is to drink a pint of something. Record it, stick it out on the internet, and somehow people seem to, uh, to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we don't have a theme or a topic in mind. One of the things that we were asking to do in the break area was just to have a chat think about some topics that are going on that you might be interested in talking a little bit more about or hearing what less about. We uh, usually explain what we're drinking and where we are. So this, my background, is a pub in my hometown, Cheltenham. It's called The Restoration, and it was... Um, a, a, a teenage haunt of mine. over 350 years old, it's the older person actually. And um, I'm drinking uh, this, which is a collaboration between Brewdog and a mental health charity called SAD AF. Now, to me, AF stands for something different than, uh, than what it means on the tin. And um, what it means on the tin is alcohol free. Um, so I've, I've got a case of this. It's, um, to, the hashtag is I am whole. It's about promoting mental health and um, in particular seasonal affective disorder which sort of affects me a lot this time of year so cheers what have you got mr
1: goddard uh, well as jeff will know um i'm doing dry january and i'm really enjoying it <laughs> uh so i've got um it is it's a copperberg a little i'm a big cider drinker so if you can see that, it's a, little, a little copperberg mixed berry alcohol free cider obviously yeah it's um it just tastes like fizzy ribina really so it's um it's very it's like a child's like a child's drink really so um yeah that's 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 what i'm on tonight in, my in the chat
0: it is indeed a bespoke agile podcast glass very nice available with with other merchandise like the agile podcast bottle can we get one can, can we go one? on the on website and order them yeah you can yeah cool it's com. um so yeah the the how whatever you want to talk about let us know in the chat or do, or do. yeah we'll have a little bit of small talk while you, while you have a think about it. um
1: so what's uh where, where are you what's that pub you don't know Paul, do you? i don't know where the pub is um we were trying to work work it out by deduction there's a very stationary bar barman behind me who's not not, not moved at all if people zoom in really closely on my uh, on the bar there is some reference to london or the thames i think uh, but yeah it's it's a uh, I, I stole the photo from google so i'm not sure where it is
0: i was imagining that some of the the, the conversations today would be around the restrictions changing tomorrow uh, i imagine that's on people's minds i got that wrong today <laughs> i thought it was today that restrictions had changed so i got on the bus and i got on the train without a mask on why has everyone still got their masks on? i thought i thought this had changed um, and then I, so I Googled it and I realised it was tomorrow and I thought, well, I can't put my mask on now because I've been sat on the train for 15 minutes. And I basically made my stand of I'm medically exempt, therefore that's why I'm not wearing a mask. Putting a mask on now would make me look sick. So uh, I, I stuck it out for the next 15 minutes, but then wore it on the way back.
1: But I think, because I checked, I looked at the BBC website today, I think the guidance for, the guidance for working from home has changed. So that's already changed, I think, but it's the masks on public transport and stuff and shops that changes tomorrow okay yeah that
2: changed last week, didn't it yeah working from home changed on the day that it got announced, didn't it
1: Yes, it was pretty immediate that was yeah so there's for me that that was that was a confusing thing confusing message around
0: the transparency so I guess so if they were going to increase the restrictions, then having some advance warning i think is quite useful because people don't want to get caught out mm. but if you're reducing the restrictions why is advance warning necessary Like mm. you going to get caught doing something and so that just confused people there we go. so yeah I, I, I presume most of you are still working from home any of you thumbs up if you are going back to the office or thinking about going back to the office now restrictions changed. nobody sort of maybe but most people know
3: it's probably know. Uh, hybrid working for
0: us all isn't it well so that's that's the term isn't it but i don't i think hybrid working is going to be different for everyone isn't it Yeah,
4: I think the company I work for are are kind of saying that office work is now now possible so you can go back into the office because the the guidance changed. But the the company still got their own kind of guidelines, and and one of which is, you know, limit large gatherings of people. And I I kind of see that as the only real advantage of going to the office is having those kind of face-to-face interactions with larger groups. So the, the appeal to go into the office isn't really there for me until the, the, the company's guidance changes. Yeah. Would, would large be seven? I, I guess it's, it's open to their interpretation, but I, I, I guess any more than four they're kind of suggesting is, is a large group. Hmm.
1: I think it also depends on your, the layout of your office, doesn't it, as well? The idea that you know if you've got large open plan areas and big, spacious, high ceilinged meeting rooms, then you generally will feel less less claustrophobic anyway. And I think you know that will probably have a bearing on it. I
3: mean you can go back into the office but you can't book a meeting room or a collaboration space for more than an hour.
1: Okay. Limited by
0: time. That could be an interesting constraint, though, right? Rather than how long how
1: long is this going to take, it's how much can we do in an hour. It's about focus, doesn't it? I've uh, only got an hour; we've got to use it effectively.
3: Absolute time boxing.
1: Yeah. We used to find that people banging on the door. We've got this meeting.
0: Get out! Mm. <laughs> bad, you forget about those things. You still have them.
1: There was a. I don't know if it's true or not, but there was a. Um, Someone told me it might be a kind of one of these urban myths that in Amazon, they, um, they instituted a, a kind of a lean canvas policy for, for meeting room bookings. So if you really wanted the meeting room, you'd have to basically fill out a 15 minute lean canvas in order to justify its booking. And they found that, you know, pe- people just didn't bother. So there's loads of meeting room space because people couldn't be bothered to, to go through the process. and didn't really want the room that much. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. One of those stories.
0: What were the consequences?
1: Consequences of what? Well, so I could imagine
0: there's the be upsides to that—fewer unnecessary meetings. But even yeah. uh, imagine some downsides where people who could have benefited from being in a room together
1: didn't. Yeah, we'll just go us go for a walk. Go elsewhere. It's not a bad then.
0: So I mean, for me, I, I like the I like the experimental nature of it. I'd like to know what the what the hypothesis was and whether it was
1: proven. I suppose it was yes, to cut down on the unnecessary meetings. The idea if you can't justify why you need a meeting on a, in fifteen minutes, then you don't really need the meeting. Conversely,
3: you can see that if there's an open meeting room, then you just jump in it.
1: Yeah.
0: So if that's not top of the agenda. Because you're all going to be staying at home, and you're happy stay at home anyway.
1: What else is What else is hot news, hot topics for people in North Northampton? Any questions? Any Any hot potatoes to throw in there?
2: I guess one of the one of the biggest issues, isn't it, about being remote is, I suppose, the engagement thing is. I suppose, like the camera's on thing and you don't, I don't think people are potentially not as engaged, maybe, being remote. I mean.
3: I was about to say exactly the same it's, thing, it's, David. Darren? It's, it's, yeah, so uh, it's, it's been a constant struggle for the last two years, keeping people engaged in meetings. And uh, you always know when they're not, is when you refer to them and go, sorry, I missed that. What is it? because they're off doing something else on their iphone whatever yeah and uh are there any little tools i guess for keeping people I- engaged in meetings and it was harder for us actually for the first year at barclays the network didn't cope so we couldn't have video on at all so they could be doing whatever in their pjs boxer shorts dancing around who knows but uh yeah
0: my son actually um he, he was struggling with one of his messages and so we know somebody out, out of school who uh, is doing GCSEs who offered some one to one sort of tuition. And I picked him up from it the other day. I said, How was it? He said, It was really good. He uh, said, She kind of she explained stuff, which was good, but she also knew when I was zoning out. And so she, she brought me back. So in the classroom, They'll be talking to somebody else and I, I just i'll zone out and i i don't realize i've zoned out and like like 20 minutes have gone by so but in that she knew when i was zoning out and, and brought me back with a question and i think that's that's the hard thing is in a, in a room you can it's not about sensing i don't think it's a spider sense thing i just you just got
1: more cues to notice
0: um, well the snoring used to be a good sign <laughs>
1: One of the one of the best facilitation tips that I heard was um, if you want to make sure someone's engaged before you start talking around that subject, you'd say, um, so we're going to, I'm going to start talking about this. So I'm going to mention this topic and Darren, I'd like to come back to you when I finished talking to hear what you really think. So you, you actually kind of call someone out before you started talking about it. And then they're pretty much tuned into exactly everything you're saying. When, when and they know you're waiting for you to finish, so it's quite it's, it's a bit it's more individual, but it certainly helps focus that, that person on what you're saying. Well,
0: that's I, I, I like that technique, and it, it reminds me of that. Well, it was when I was doing some maybe some uh, some kind of neuroscience NLP type training or something like that, it was called, uh, different areas of the brain, and how even in a really noisy room, you can hear your name being mentioned across the room. Mm. Because it flags something and it gets your attention. Uh, and you then lose focus on whatever conversation you were having because you just know someone over there is talking about you. Yeah. And and that whatever triggers there are, because it's not just your name, it's anything that you're interested in, really. And so there are probably a number of hot trigger words that you could, you know, your Darren Browns or whatever could drop in subtly that will keep people not on their toes, but just keep activating that part of the brain. But my general tactic is short and sharp. Keep things not very, very short, and then move on to another thing, and then move on to another thing, and then wrap up and summarise or something like that. So we were just talking beforehand. I haven't. I experimented with Zoom training, um, and I don't do it. I don't like it. Um, It went okay, but I don't like it. Paul's doing both. He's in the middle of an A-B test at the moment. So we did an in-person one, maybe Tuesday, and he's doing a virtual one Thursday Friday to see what the appetite is. I've, I've done virtual one-to-one coaching since before the pandemic over Zoom, and that worked brilliantly. In fact, there are there a number of advantages to that for me. Uh, but training, not so much. Workshops, not so much. I've turned down a lot of work because I'm pretty convinced it won't work uh, virtually. I was asked to do um, the Ways of Working workshop, which wanted to get at the root of basically these groups of people who weren't collaborating particularly with a conflict. And I just didn't think that would be resolved with everybody on Zoom and over with the camera. Um, So I turned it out. Yeah. What made you decide, what made you think it would get resolved? What was it? Was there something more there than just the fact that they were um, So, yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there, are some, there are some flags there that I can't share, but in, in general, the, the, the dynamics that I was, I was in about uh, the behaviours and the engagement I would, I would feel would need a lot more trust, a lot more trust to be built so i I think trust in general is lower when you you don't have physical proximity and you don't have physical contact Um, so i think if you've got a well-established group then they will make things work they will find ways around that and i think that will only get better over time, And I think it's got significantly better because it had to get significantly better in the last 18 months. But it's still a hell of a long way to go. Hell of a long way to go. Uh, my worry, so talking about this engagement thing, is having been part of teams and organisations when this all started kicking off and seeing it throughout. I've seen engagement levels. I, I wish I'd sort of tracked it somehow. I'm sure some people have. Engagement levels dropped significantly over the last 18 months because the honeymoon period is worn off. People are getting a bit fed up a bit. The exceptions that they were making, the concentration they were making, it wasn't sustainable for the long term. And then, um, you know, I, I was saying to Paul, I was reading an article uh, by someone who was predicting that well, 2022 is going to be the year of the employee because. They can basically demand whatever working conditions they want at the moment. There's, there's more jobs than people, and employers are, are struggling to offer whatever they can to get talent. She's worried that 2023 is going to be the year of what she calls the employer regret, because they're going to be saddled with very, very flexible working policies and ineffective, inefficient processes and disengaged, isolated people. That once you've got them out of the office, it's going to be very difficult to get them back. Um and I don't know whether there's the truth to that, but she was citing a number of studies around engagement, productivity, morale that were a bit worrying if that's gonna be the trend.
1: I think a lot of it is also is novelty. Well, for me as, as someone who I was really looking forward this week to, to, to driving to Cardiff. <laughs> just, be, <laughs> just because not because it's Cardiff, but because it's a oh it's a day out. It's Oh, I've got a trip to, I've got a, a little journey to do and I can, you know, do the things that I used to do. I could put my headphones in and listen to music or whatever in the car and stuff and listen to a, a podcast on the way and go out for dinner and all these things that I think there's, um, I think there's an element of that, that, that people will miss that the idea of the social, the, um, the time, you know, the journey to get even the journey to get to work, the walk, or whatever it is, the cycle, the, the, uh, the commute. Yes, it can be painful. I appreciate that. But there's, um, there is a benefit to that. I, I remember being on a course a long time ago in BT and that the, I can't remember what the course was, but one thing I remember is it takes 20 minutes to decompress the day. Uh, and your journey home is a great way to do that. And the difference now for me and, and probably many of us is that our work is, is not 20 minutes from our home. It, it's become the same place. So, from a work aspect, great. You're getting more work done because you're at home. But me personally, I'm finding it very difficult to separate the two sometimes. And, and the lines have become very blurred and I'll be checking my emails well into the evenings and I'll be getting up early first, uh, first thing in the morning. The first thing I'm doing is turning my machine on at 7am, which I would never have done before. So the lines are becoming a lot more blurred. And, and for me that it was refreshing, maybe not. It's not going to be every day for me, but just to make have a journey to go somewhere, do something, um, and and to change things up a bit.
2: I think it seems that certain companies seem to be hemorrhaging certain roles because they're not offering fully remote as well. But it seems there's obviously it seems that there's patterns in the sorts of people that are are, are moving on for that reason. Um, but yeah, we, we've lost a lot of people in certain roles for that mm. reason, yeah. who have moved into roles where companies are often fully remote. Yeah. So a lot of good talent as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, but those mm. talent, I, I don't know the answer to this, but I have, a, I have a suspicion that some of that talent, while being very valuable in many ways to that organization, may well never be a valuable member of an agile team because one of the reasons they want to be fully remote. Is they, they want to work on their own. They don't want to be part of a collaborative team who rely on one another and work with one another to evolve something. Um, and that's not to say that they're bad or bad employees or not bad at all. But it it is a way of perhaps self-selecting into a, an environment that is more suitable to your personality.
2: Perhaps. Do you do you have a gut feel of I mean, it's, I, I suppose it's difficult to say. You know, gut feel policy is that it should be a, a percentage split. But do you have a gut feel based on experience of what a good policy would be? Not as a not not percentage. It might just be. You know, you know, use you, you use your discretion to come in when it's it seems like uh, an opportunity when you need to come in.
0: Yeah.
2: What What would a what would a policy look would like?
0: To, would to treat everybody different to treat them the same? So. If I was running a company and I had um, I had a product development team, my belief is that an agile approach is the best way to build and develop a new product. So I wouldn't want all those people spread all over the world. I would want, if I could, I would want people in the same time zone in the same place. But if I had work that didn't require collaboration then I would want the best people wherever they are and I think every organisation is going to have a mix of those which kind of brings me on to Ian's question let's see if I can link it which is around working in an organisation that's, that's trying to be safe and worried that the, the organisational culture will really change and carry on <laughs> and, and without wishing to uh, invite any kind of legal challenge, <laughs> I, would say, I would probably say that my, my suspicions would be similar to yours here. And my, my suggestion for leaders uh, is, to, is to try and get some kind of visualisation of the organisational culture now work out what kind of organisational culture they think is appropriate for the space that they're in and then get as much real-time data as they possibly can to test whether the changes they're making are creating more stories that map to that new culture or more stories that map to the old culture. There are ways of doing that. They're not included within SAFE um, but there are ways of doing it Um, and that Kind of transparency, uh, and so there was a really good sort of answer in there, which was you know, talk to them about what what their what their beliefs are, what their views are, what their values are, what they're hoping to get from this, and that sense of transparency. I think would come back to that previous question for me. When I'm hiring somebody, if I was in that hiring position, I'd be saying that this these are the beliefs. This is how we operate. This is how we believe we're going to deliver value. So if you're going to join this organisation, this is this is what we kind of want from. Are you happy with that? Um, now, a lot of people in their current organisation probably didn't have that conversation. So I feel for that, that this is an opportunity to rebalance things. Well, you know a company that's hiring purely physically.
1: Yeah. And um, they're really struggling with it. Um, because, like you said, Jeff, um, employees are, are demanding a demanding and there is plenty of other options to provide flexible working. I think so I know another company that's that's been recruiting all the way through the pandemic. Um, but they they had a pretty firm I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's as firm as the this other company but they wanted to hire hire people with the intention of saying largely by default we are an in-person on-site company okay we value people being in the office regardless really of their roles i think but that what they said was that you've got to try and anticipate and assume um by default where we would like to we want to be an on-site company mm-hmm. but with we have we can be flexible if we need to be okay so if you need to be at home to Take a parcel delivery on a Friday, you know, be at home on a Friday. But I think the um, the the overwhelming drive was not exclusively, but by by and large, you're going to be fa- you're going to be face to face with people in the office every day if we can.
0: Now, for me, the key is have has the rationale for that been explained, and does it make sense? Does it land?
1: Yeah, I think it has. Yeah,
0: and what we see. Mostly in the news, right? Is banks have told their workers they have to come back to the office. Now, if the message is you're coming back to the office, regardless, just do it. You are you are an employee. We you are contracted to. We want you to. Therefore, you will. Then, even if it's the right thing, it will be resisted. And that, to me, smacks of we don't trust you, Mm. which would then lead to a distrustful relationship. But if it's a case of, as well, Paul was saying there, we understand things that things are difficult, things have changed, and, you know, we, we're flexible. But this is this is what we need to be successful as an organisation. Yeah. And I think that's a fair conversation to have. I think you'll see these organisations. Some will come out of this and they will they will fail because they haven't approached it correctly. Some will not be able to replace the people they've got. Some will go too far the other way. Um, and some people will probably make decisions that go too far because that's what we do and then it will settle down and when it does settle down there will be some organisations that are in a much better place some organisations that are in a terrible place and others that will be able to learn from their lessons such as the way of the other adopters we have uh, another question from Josh um, wanting to move from developer to project manager. So you've done that, Paul.
1: <laughs>
0: Paul used to be a Java developer. I was an amazing Java developer. Well, when, when boss... Paul joined, when Paul joined our team, our boss described him
1: as a Java guru. I was like the saviour of Jeff <laughs> I was described as uh, yeah. Come, I was coming to, from Cardiff to Exeter, or to Bristol. Big money was, transfer in the world of BT. I was uh, I was going to save that team and bring them into the the, the time, the 20s. It didn't quite work out that way. did It didn't, didn't mate, no. Um, moving from developer into project management, some ways to find project management. Uh, okay.
0: I think there's got to be a bit of a passion for it. I think there's got to be a passion for anything. To be able to explain your why. So why do you want to move? And not why do you want to get away from where you are, but why do you want to be where you want to be? Because those are two different things. Um, and then you know, really think about yourself, think about your answer. There's um there's a really good episode of Pepper Pig. I mean, all of the episodes of Pepper Pig are really good, right? But there's one where Madame Gazelle, the the nursery teacher, asks the kids what they want to be when they grow up. Uh, and one of them says, Oh, I want to be a, I want to be a police. I want to be a policeman. So, oh yeah, that's interesting. Why do you want to be a policeman? So I can tell people what to do.
4: <laughs>
0: I and mean, what do you want to be? I want to be a, I want to be a teacher. Okay, that's, that's really good. Why do you want to be a teacher? Because I can tell people what to do. This and everyone wants to do a different job because they can tell people what to do. Because kids can't tell people what to do; right there. they're always told what to do. Um, and that idea of well, why do you want to be a project manager? Is it because you see you, see you want to be in control, glory, and, and there's no bad or whatever? So what is it about that you need want? And mm-hmm. then find the organization. The context the domain that will allow you to have that and the good thing with project management is that it spans because i used to be a project manager as well is that it spans industry it's it's kind of transferable skills in a way so you can then you can always find some industry that is struggling
1: for project management Um, and get some just get whatever experience you can because for me it wasn't wasn't necessary. if I look back now, it wasn't necessarily around the project. I found a lot of the projects quite boring really. But it was around the team, it was around people. I wanted to be I wanted to help coordinate people. I think that's what that's how I kind of got involved in that. And I found I was quite comfortable talking to people. So I think you're right, Jeff, I think I think it depends what aspects of that role. And also if you've got this choice, Josh, but I don't know if it's whether it's within the same company or whether you're looking broader than that at different companies, but I would pay a lot, if I was doing this again now, I would pay a lot more attention to the company that the projects were in. Um, is it the type of companies? Are they doing the types of things that I want that I want to be part of? And that will probably increase my levels of passion for it, I think. That's, that's how I do things differently now.
0: The agile side of me would, would say, don't worry so much about the type of, yeah. So if you've got a job as a developer and there is the potential for this team to become more agile, then project managers, so when we were at the, the BT, we had thousands of project managers, but we didn't have any scrum masters. And yeah, the idea of this is just get rid of all the project managers and hire some scrum masters. And the idea that in an agile team, you've got basically self-managing teams. So we're expecting the developers to do a lot more self-management not just of themselves but of their colleagues as well. So you have you have the opportunity there to take more management responsibility without having to find a new role. So you can test yourself, you can grow your skills, you can get some experience, you can prove to other people that you can take this kind of responsibility, you can do this kind of stuff while still having a bit of fun messing around with some code if that blows you back. Well, anybody else
3: have any advice on that i think that's yeah i think that's good advice jeff i mean i'm a i'm a developer become project manager become Scrum master um and i find i mean if if you like writing status reports and rag reports and and standing in front of a board and having your ass kicked uh, week after week then yeah whatever floats your boat but um, <laughs> I was much more interested in kind of the, the looking after the team, the people management, um, helping them resolve their, their problems. Uh, uh, although I was a developer, I wasn't one to to say, right, this is the way you should be doing it, guys. It's like, okay, tell me how you're going to solve this problem. What do you need from me to help you solve the problem? What resources do you need? Who do I who do I need to? to get off your backs and allow you to do stuff, that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, as, as, I, as I said in the chapter, um, it depends what you want to do as a, as a project. If you want to be a traditional um, waterfall type project manager, there, there's loads of stuff out there. Uh, I, I personally would say stay the hell away from prints, but uh, each to their own.
4: It's interesting, Mike, you were talking about the the ass kicking that you used to get as a project manager. And I think it goes back to what Paul was saying about being careful about the organisation you work for, because that sounds like a a cultural thing rather than necessarily all project managers are in the
0: firing line all the time. Well, just just look at The Apprentice. I I, I mean, I don't watch it, but some of you probably still watch The Apprentice. The idea that the project manager is the one on the line, right? They're the most likely to get fired, but they're also the most likely to get the glory. Yeah, and and that that is a, that is a cultural baggage that comes along with the term, but it's sort of as Mike was hinting at, it's, it's kind of old school because the responsibilities in a in a more agile environment aren't there anymore. But that doesn't mean that there are. That doesn't mean that's the only way. Right? So there are other other places where project management will have kind of accountability. They will have responsibility, and that's arguably the right thing. Um, so. So finding those environments is, is key to making sure you're not a fish out of water. In
1: you're in the right pond. Jo- Josh is asking why, why stay away from prints?
0: I, 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 I,
1: Mike was probably half joking
0: about that. It, <laughs> it, it, it's not as useful if you're going to be operating in an agile environment because it's very structured, very formal. It's
3: yeah. it's the whole premise of Prince is wrong. It's projects in controlled environments so it's like who the hell works in a controlled environment in that oh. all environments are, are out of control <laughs> yeah, so,
0: well, the is that, that is a hell of a lot more effective and appropriate than others but there are two <clears> variables <throat> that will affect no matter what environment you're in one is people okay? so people add a level of complexity to any environment how, how control. and the other is technology this technology is always evolving and always advancing. It's never, it's never stays the same. It's never predictable. So you're always going to have elements of unknown. And prints can cope with unknown, but it can't cope very well with unknown. So I, I'm a. So I, I went. I didn't
1: actually go on the training course in the end, but I studied for the good stuff. And you think had a choice, didn't you, Jeff? You had a choice between print Two and Scrum. I made a choice. So I was booked on
0: a Prince course back in two thousand two, and it was so basically I was a project manager, so I needed to get a qualification. So my boss said, "What are you doing on the Prince two qualification?" And it was in somewhere, I'll say, somewhere in the UK, and then and it was it cost I'll say 1500 And I happened to find that there was. Uh, certified Scrum Master class in Boston, Massachusetts. But with the flights and <laughs> certification, came to less than the Prince Two course. So I said, I can get a project management certification cheaper than the one that you're sending me. And just like people's brain flags up when you hear their name, when BT heard the word cheaper, <laughs> they didn't hear anything else. It's cheaper, brilliant, do it. So I managed to get uh, my CSM instead of going on a Prince 2. But, while studying for it, I think there's a lot that you can take from it. So I think you can take a lot from anything, as long as you're not looking to apply it religiously. Yeah. So there's a lot in there in terms of organisation, in terms of critical path, in terms of dependency management, that you could probably take out and apply in different circumstances.
1: We had a lot of resistance back in <laughs> BT in the day... Um saying, you know, about scrums, lack of governance, and things like that, and saying, well, Prince Prince has governance. And it was a long time ago, Jeff, but I remember we did a piece of work where we just literally mapped one to the other. I think we went through the whole Prince framework or the the uh, the, the Prince methodology. And we mapped every, and we and we mapped every stage gate, every process point to an equivalent part of the scrum framework, showed it to the auditors, and they kind of went, oh, Okay, <laughs> and that got, got them off our back for a long time. Um, it can do the same things. You know, it's, it's not, it, it can handle them. But Prince just tends to be more heavyweight and more time-consuming. and It comes with a big old man. It probably still just does come with a big manual as well.
0: One of the first things it said, like, like, I can't, because they have different versions, but basically the PM bot, the Project Manager Body of Knowledge, is what I think Prince was assessing the big book. But right at the start of that, it used to—I don't know whether it still does—it used to say, "Only use as much of this framework as we need." Yeah. But what we found was that if there was something in there, then it gave somebody an excuse for it to be used. So it, it always too much framework, always too much process was being used, um, and it, it, it stifled not just innovation, but delivery as well, because there were so many stage places But yeah, I don't want to... I think I hate Safe more than I hate Prince. Uh, I was going to say, do you you feel that Safe has replaced Prince as... Yeah, in many ways. ...as as an an overblown framework? I'll tell you why, Duncan, because Prince nails its colours to the mast. To me, it is what it says it is, and it makes no apologies. Whereas safe is waterfall in agile clothing. It's pretending to be agile and it's nowhere near.
1: There you go, ladies and gents, you heard it there. It's been recorded, Jeff. So I I've said got, that with a finger. That's gotta be, <laughs> be all over the internet tomorrow. Jeff Watts quoting that.
3: It's like a way of selling very expensive training courses and certification courses. No.
1: Certainty sells, doesn't it? That kind of thing. So, you know, recipes sell. People love those things. It's very attractive to the right type of people. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else? You any any got questions? questions? It in the topics. Throw it another any other curveballs in there. I wouldn't mind uh, looking
0: back to the, the remote team's uh, topic can, Just uh, earlier on, you said that you turned down a gig because uh, uh, it was a, a, a team that had difficulties, but it sounds like they were the team that were, had always been remote, maybe. Now, um, and you said, you know, if you've got a team that's established and then they go remote, it, it could work. I guess a lot of us are probably going to be working with teams that were creative during all of this and, and they're never going to be together. So I guess. The question is, how do we help them? I know, I know you wouldn't necessarily take that job off. So, call you up, you might, you might not. But what, what would you do if you were working with a team where they were spread across the country or several countries, and there were engagement issues? So, I, 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 was slightly facetious when I said I turned the word. Okay. So, the more accurate thing, more accurate description was. I told the client that they would not get value for money spending that money with me. They should save that money. Um, and as it turned out, they've waited. Restrictions have changed. We've now got it set up in person. But what, so I gave you that clarification because my default response is the art of the possible. So meet whoever it is that you're working with, where they are. And do the best you can. So and I always look to get better. So the the, the the caveat, it's not really a caveat, but I suppose the critical variable there is does that team want to make the best of that situation? Uh, and I I think for most teams that have been hired into it, yeah, they probably do because they've they've bought into this with they've gone into it with eyes wide open. And um, there was, um, I can't, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the, the full name, but there's a, there's a retrospective tool, which is a very short exercise, but it basically asks people uh, whether they feel, whether they turned up to this retrospective and feel like a prisoner or a tourist or whatever. And I think if, if you've got people who are remote and feel like a prisoner, it's much harder to help them. Mm. Um, and it's much harder to help everybody else. So I think it's definitely possible. Don't get me wrong, it's definitely possible to have a really fully functioning team, fully remote, because we've been part of them ourselves. We've seen it even before the pandemic we've seen. It. It's a lot harder. It takes a lot longer. It requires more effort and energy from everyone. Um, but with that kind of attitude you've got there, David, of how can I help them? you've just increased your
5: chances of success. I've got a question, if I may be so bold. Okay. So, uh, my team has been established during the pandemic. Um, I want to know what everyone's views are on being a wee bit dictatorial. don't like the use of that word in this scenario, but I forced my team's hand to get them to try it. So for instance, I said to them all, my expectancy is at least one day a month, we will all be together in a place that works for the majority because they're all over the place in in the UK. But without that nudge, it wouldn't be happening. So I work for a bank. And we are going back hybrid, so the expectancy from the board is two slash three days a week. But that's up to you what those two three days look like. So to get my team together and start collaborating, do the odd retro face-to-face instead of a Miro, I've said, and I've given them two months' notice, but from March for the rest of the year, first Tuesday of the month, we're going to be together. So ordinarily you'd let the team decide, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your views on how I've approached this?
0: Without, without knowing more about the team, I, I, I can't give you a, a brilliant answer. My, my instinct knowing you is that you've, you've sensed the room and that, that that kind of would have been welcomed. So there are some there are some teams at some point who and this could be a, quite a touchy subject for some teams this could be quite a almost a taboo conversation you've heard i'm sure you've heard the idea of the silent majority where the, the few that complain fill the air and you know, everybody else is oh, i don't really want to have an argument about it so I should have a stake. but as soon as one person says hold on a minute i've got, I've got a different need here or I've got a different perspective and then other people yeah, okay maybe maybe I can maybe I can join forces I've got someone on my side mm-hmm. uh, and that idea of just putting something out there uh, I I guess my instinct would be if I was going to do something would be to almost put my my feelings out there and say that I, I find it really difficult never seeing people I really miss the connection. I really miss being able to to actually think things through and talk things through with other people. I would really value seeing you all every now and again. Does anybody else feel the same?
5: You're quite right, though, Jeff, that I did read the room, and that is why I've waded in before the silent majority had their voices, because I knew who they are, and I know it's coming, so I kind of went in before they had the opportunity to wreck it.
1: Do you think they will try and sabotage it when it happens, Sarah?
5: Um, One or two, maybe. And I know, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I'm hoping that the the being together for the remainder will outweigh that.
0: I, I, I can imagine scenarios where you could take the this is this is going to happen. You could take the this is going to happen because I would like this to happen because um, please do this for me. There are lots of different ways of, of, of floating I I
5: lots
0: of different ways of making a decision. But so sort of, you know, I, I, I focus a lot on what makes a team a real team, and one of the things that I see makes a real team is every one of that, every member of that team will put themselves out a little bit. Yeah. In the needs of their teammates. Not all the time, but sometimes. And if something, if getting together was really, really important once a month, was really, really important to one of my teammates, even if it was just one, I would feel a really crap teammate if I vetoed
1: that. And also the other thing I was going to mention is around without without treading this very thin, fine line here between, um, into manipulation, but, but trying to look at other instances where other team members have done something else to help someone else out. Other instances or examples completely unrelated as a team in a retro or talking, bringing it up in a retro instances in the last sprint where we have gone out of our way to make someone else feel better or to make, to allow, and then that, that, that draws out other instances where it's nothing to do with, with being, being in a room together, but we've helped each other out, or we've done something that we didn't want to do to make someone else feel better or to, or to, to make someone else's day go, go a bit smoother. And if the teams can start agreeing on the things that they've done in the past, it won't seem like such an outlandish thing to, to do it again in the future.
0: Different questions can get different answers. So, um, as, a, as a brief example, you know, asking for a vote, how many people want to come in once a month? And you might get 50-50. Um, asking, Mike, would you, would you join everybody in coming in once a month for our get-together? I know you don't particularly want to, but would you do that, Mike? Directly asking. Uh, maybe saying to Mike, what will it take for you to agree? Coming once a month. Different questions, different answers. And so one thing I know you're very good at, Sarah, is reading the room. Um so yeah, just these things make sense enough. It. It's gonna it's gonna be lots of these conversations and I think it's just another part
1: of our working agreements as a team. If they don't come, Sarah, I'll I'll join you. Just tell me where it is, I'll come, <laughs> I'll, I'll come and join you.
5: You'll be so welcome, you know. <laughs>
0: Cool. Um, we 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 were told we had an hour with you, and I think we used that hour. Cheers, all. And that's it. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bottoms up. Cheers, everyone. Enjoy. Cheers. Cheers.